0: Our sermon passage for this morning is Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight, or but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reaching of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, they are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands.
1: So now, Father, we pray this morning, That the power of your word, spoken and applied by your spirit, would bring faith, hope, love, healing, restoration, joy, honesty, and depth of relationship with you that transforms our lives. Lord, we are praying that the truth of this psalm would be heard, would be received, would be truthfully applied to our hearts in such a way that we would have hope and confidence in You. And Lord, over this congregation, I know that we've entered this place with sickness, with death, with grief, with hurt, with broken relationships, with pain, with suffering. We enter this place with depression. We enter this place needing to have our heads lifted and have our hope restored and have our minds renewed in you. And we, Father, need to feel the power of your presence. And so, Lord, as I look out over this congregation this morning, I feel helpless. I feel unable to accomplish what we know needs to be accomplished today. But I also know that I feel that because only you can do it. And so, Lord, I am praying that your spirit would speak to your people in power this morning. I'm praying that anything that I have planned to say that would not accomplish your purposes, that you would quench it and you would take it away. I'm praying that anything that that is not planned, that needs to be said, that you would bring it to, to existence and bring it to be spoken so that your people could be ministered to by you today. the psalm is raw the psalm is honest the psalm is exposing to all of our hearts so lord before we turn to it i will pray boldly that you would cause your children to not fear honest raw reality but that you would cause us to believe that you will meet us there. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the joys of being a pastor is knowing what is really going on in the lives of people. And so to those of you who have confessed things to me in the last 14 days, I want you to know this psalm was picked about six weeks ago, okay? And so if anything that's said this morning hits a little close to home, I'm asking you to interpret that through the grid of the sovereignty and the providence of God and not through the grid of me taking our meetings and turning them into sermons, because I'll never do that. It's important that you know that this morning. Because it's important that we hear God's word. Psalm 90 is an invitation to lament. Lament. And lament is a very biblical concept. And it's a word that we as Americans are so unfamiliar with that I need to define it for you today. Lament is simply a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Lament is simply a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. So Christian lament would be a passionate expression of grief or sorrow that seeking God God to minister to His people because of His Son, Jesus. So Christian lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow that looks to Christ for help and hope and healing. And Psalm 90 is a passage that takes us deep into Christian lament. And I think if if I could just get one point across this morning, it would be this. That we live in the suburbs, and the suburbs exist to cover up pain, and the suburbs exist to cover up suffering, and the suburbs exist to cover up hardship with a plastic veneer of fake happiness that makes us try to convey to the world that we're good and everything's good behind our pretty little front doors and our pretty little subdivisions. And I'm the chief offender here. I live a mile back there. I don't want to pick on the suburbs because I chose to live here. I don't want to pick on the suburbs because God called us to plant a church here. But the reality is that what the Bible says is the path of to joy flows through the valley of the shadow of death. The path to joy flows through hardship. The Bible says that the path to joy flows through honesty about what's really going on in our homes and in our families and behind our doors and in our own minds, which can be a prison to many of us. The path to joy in God flows through honesty about where we are. So to act like lament is not necessary Is to miss the path to greater joy in God. And Psalm 90 teaches us to lament, not for the sake of woe is me, but for the sake of God is good and with me, even in the valley of the shadow. And you say amen louder than any amen that's ever been heard in this church because you hurt just like I do. And your hurt is not an accident, but it is the path of sanctification by which God is going to show you himself and his grace and his mercy and lift your weeping, weary head and minister to you. So the invitation this morning is to learn the gift and the art of lament so that we can walk in a greater experience of the greatness and the grace of God. So for the last three weeks, we've talked about joy and exuberance and expression of worship. And what I want to say is that Psalm 90 is not going down the other path. We're not calling for depressed, mum unemotional Christians, but the path to joy and the path to real worship and the path to free expression starts with recognizing the hurt and the suffering and the brokenness that we face and recognize that the God who sent His Son Jesus to die for our sin also sent His Spirit to be with us in our hardship and will ultimately, eternally deliver us from our Hardship. So many of you maybe don't like to listen to people like me talk for like 45 minutes, and today might be an hour. But this is the reality. If I could just convey a couple truths, and then we're going to look at Psalm 90. God will not allow us to love this world more than we love Him and His greater kingdom. God will not allow us to love this world more than we love Him and His greater kingdom. And sometimes the way for God to get our attention and our affections and our heart and our worship and our joy is by removing some of this world from us, and that is a good that's what Psalm 90 says. So let's look at it. Because you should never, ever take my word for it. But you should trust what God says. So the main point is that we worship a God who is greater than our disappointment. And we worship a God who has made a covenant by the blood of His Son that is greater than all of our disappointment. And so my argument to you today is that lament is good. Lament is helpful because lament takes our hurts right to God where God can minister to us. So let's learn to lament together. Point number one, if, if you prefer to take notes. Number one, lament is honest lament is honest the the circumstances or the context of this psalm are not abundantly spelled out for us like i love the psalms when it says a psalm of david written when david did this right because it lets us know exactly what's being talked about this one doesn't give us that it tells us that it's a prayer of Moses. So that would go, if you're new to the Bible, that would go all the way back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. A man named Moses was raised up by God to deliver God's people out of Egypt. And delivering them out of Egypt was this miraculous saving event. And yet, The people questioned God. They questioned God's faithfulness. They questioned God's provision. They questioned God's wisdom. Maybe Egypt would have been better. And all of that unfolded to those people who were delivered living in the desert for 40 years. So living in the desert with no permanent home, no permanent dwelling for 40 years before being allowed to enter into the promised land. So if you get that, the people of Israel under Moses, including Moses, lived between salvation and deliverance from Egypt and the promised land. And so it would be wise of us, and I think right of us, to assume that this psalm was written somewhere during that 40-year period. And written at a time when all was not well and good. When they weren't singing it is well in unison around the campfire. But a time of doubt and hardship and fear. And here's why I suggest that. With me at verse 13. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Now, I am no brilliant Hebrew scholar, but I think that you only say return when it feels like someone has left, right? And you only say how long when it feels like too long. It seemed like a fair assessment of what's going on. So... Moses, um, amongst the people, is praying, Return, O Lord, how, how long? Have pity on your servant. So clearly, this is a circumstance of hardship, of difficulty, of wishing things were different. Verse 15. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen Evil. Now again, it seems that Moses is envisioning and experiencing days of, of, of difficulty, days of hardship. So he's saying, Lord, bring your blessing back. Take away this affliction. Lord, take away the years of evil that we have experienced and seen. Then verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath. We are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So it seems here that the people of God were being disciplined by God for their disobedience to God. You can read more about that in Psalm 89, verses 27 through 37. I think the context is the same but what this psalm is is a prayer from Moses on behalf of the people most likely during the desert wanderings that's 40 years in the wilderness between passover deliverance and promised land and it is it is Moses being honest with God about where they are and how they feel and what they need. And so, under this point about lament is honest, I think it is very important for us to see that Moses is taking his lament to God and he is expressing his lament to God. Lament is honest. And if we can take this situation, what I would say to us today is that while we don't historically live between the Passover deliverance from Egypt and the people of Israel entering the promised land, spiritually speaking, we live in exactly the same place. Jesus Christ has come has died upon a cross to deliver us from the bondage of sin and death, and He has left the earth promising to come again, and that when He comes again, all wrongs will be made right, all things will be made new, and forever we will walk and experience His blessing unhindered. But now and today, we live in the wilderness. We live in the in-between time between when our deliverance has been purchased and our salvation is forever. And living in the in-between time comes with hurt, brokenness, sin, the effects of sin, the consequences of sin, death, decay, and all of the like. Living in the in-between time is, is a time where we yearn for more of God's deliverance. We yearn for more of who God is to be poured out upon the earth, and yet we walk in the face of brokenness. And so the biblical reality is lament is necessary because we live in a broken world that's not yet been fully made new. And so learning lament, learning to be honest before the Lord is a gift that reminds us of how good He is, how merciful He is, and how much He will meet His people and keep every promise of His Word. Lament is a doorway into worship. Now, by way of application... I want to try to shame all of us, me included, okay? There's like this southern, well put together, we wear our seersucker to church and we put our best foot forward. I like seersucker, by the way. I'm not opposed to seersucker. I may wear some next week just to prove the point, okay? But we put our best foot forward on Sunday so that we can pretend that everything's okay. And it's almost like we have to pretend so much that we couldn't be honest with God about what's going on with us and how we feel because like maybe God couldn't handle it or maybe He's not man enough to know that we're disappointed in Him. It's some kind of weird psychosis that we've created inside the church. But you all know it, right? We all struggle with that psychosis a little bit. But, but hear this. God knows everything. And God is in control of His world so much so that He providentially placed us right where we are right now. And God knows our innermost thoughts. And God knows our innermost struggles. So God doesn't need us to inform God of anything. If there's any shock to be had, He's already shocked. If there's any awe to be inspired, it's already inspired. If there's any disappointment, it's already there. If there's any joy, it's already there. God knows everything. So the honesty of lament is saying, Lord, I bring my emotions to you because I trust you. The honesty of lament is saying, Lord, I bring my hurts and my disappointments about where I am in this world or where my family is in this world or where our church is in this world because I trust you more than I trust this world. And I trust you more than I trust my own feelings. And I trust you more than I trust my accountability partner. And I trust you more than I trust my friends. So we're so quick to tell one another how upset we are with where we are in life, but we won't bring it before God. And really, when we do that, what we're saying is, I need the approval of others more than I need the blessing of God. So I just give you one question. What do I do with my hurt, my loss, my disappointment, and my grief? Do I try to stuff it and cover it up and act like it's not real? Do I take it to others besides the Lord? Or do I realize that we worship a God to whom and for whom and through whom we can be honest about where we are and what is going on? I want to put before you today that Moses in Psalm 90 is modeling an honest lament before the Lord. And this is of vital importance for us. Now, before I leave this point, I just want to say this. Moses and the people of Israel were in the wilderness because of their sin. They were in the wilderness because they chose to not trust that God was going to deliver them and that he had their good for them. But all hardship is not always because of our sin. Sometimes our hardship is because of the sin of others against us. And sometimes our hardship is because we live in a broken and a fallen world. But if those who are in hardship because of their sin can truthfully lament to the Lord, then how much more can those of us who are in hardship because of the sin of others, or just because we live in a fallen world, how much more can we honestly lament before the Lord? The invitation is free. Second thing I want us to learn about lament from this psalm lament seeks truth. Lament seeks truth. Maybe a better way to say it is really, all lament seeks answers, right? Why is the cry of the human heart? Why has this happened? Why did that not happen? Why can this not happen? Why did that happen? But I would argue. That while all lament seeks answers, Christian lament seeks truth from God and His Word. Christian lament seeks truth from God and His Word. And this, friends, is really, really hard. Have you ever been that person to go around and talk to as many people as you possibly can so you can find somebody to tell you what you wanted to hear? Anybody besides me ever been guilty of that? That's a surefire sign that you're not seeking truth. You're just seeking what you want to hear. And what this psalm tells us is that Christian lament seeks truth from God and His Word. So note verse 12. Moses prays after this long lament. that We're going to be kind of working back toward the top in a minute. He says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of truth. Wisdom. So what is Moses' desire that the Lord would give his children in this psalm? A heart of wisdom. And when the Bible says wisdom, what it means is God's word applied to tangible situations. So God is providentially in control of the world is a theological truth that's always true. Wisdom would be, because God is always in control of the world, I am in this room today speaking to you and not to another group of people because God brought us all here for a purpose. And for his glory. Does that make sense? So, wisdom is truth applied to reality. And so, what Moses is praying is that in this hardship, they would all get a heart of wisdom. What he's saying is, may our lament bring us to real truth that shapes the way we think about everything that we hate about this world and about our lives. So, as I just mentioned, Scripture offers multiple answers to the question of why we experience hardship. One answer, and this is the answer of Psalm 90, sometimes we experience hardship because of our sin. And it's important that we say this clearly. God will not bless or allow us to make peace with rebellion against Him. God will not bless us, or allow us to make peace with rebellion against Him. What I'm really saying is, that if you are in a pattern of unconfessed, unbroken rebellion against God and he is convicting you of that and breaking you of that and showing that to you that is a good thing and so your hardship could very well be a gift but the Bible also tells us that sometimes we experience hardship because of the sin of others the sin of others often causes hardship to fall upon us and third Sometimes we experience hardship simply because we live in a fallen world, and in a fallen world, sin reigns, and in a fallen world, death reigns, and in a fallen world, bodies decay. But either way, we must recognize that our hardship is is something that is for our good. And so this passage gives us six truths that help shape how we process our hardship. This passage gives us six truths that help us shape how we process our hardship. And by the way, I do know what time it is, and these will go quickly. Verse 1. Number 1. This psalm tells us that God is a refuge for His people. And in particular, in verse 1, this is in the past So Moses begins this lament by looking back and seeing that God is a refuge for his people. Verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And the idea of dwelling place, remember, these are people that live in the desert without Homes without dwellings, but the Lord is with them by day and by night. And what he is saying is, you have been our refuge and you have never left us. And so the psalm says that the search for truth in lament goes back to see the historical refuge that God has been for his people and for us. So in lament, we can take up our Bibles and we can read about God's faithfulness to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We can read about God's faithfulness to his son, Jesus. We can read about God's faithfulness to Paul and to the early church and to all of the apostles. And we can read these promises and we can say that God is has been for generations a dwelling place for His people. He has been our refuge. And the truth that God has always been our refuge is a truth that speaks to and shapes our lament. Number two, Moses tells us that God is eternal and unchanging. God is eternal and unchanging. Verse two, he says, look, before there were mountains, before there was an earth, or a world, you are God. And so what, what Moses is declaring, I think for himself and for all of his hearers and for us, is that God is un. Changing And so if you put number one with number two, if God has been a refuge for His people, then He will be a refuge for His people. If God was from before time, then He is above time. If God created the earth and was before the earth, then He's greater than the earth. If God created humans and He was before humans, then He's greater than humans. God is our God from everlasting to everlasting and he is worthy of worship from everlasting to everlasting truth number 3 we are temporary we are temporary this is verse 3 and 4 you return man to dust and say return O child of man for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night What we're being told here is our lives are fleeting. Our existence is but a small sliver of what God is doing from eternity to eternity. And recognizing the temporariness of our lives causes us to see the greatness of God and what He is bringing about. We are temporary. Interestingly, most scholars believe that this psalm was often sung and or read at funerals. At funerals. Why? Because that is the moment in life where we recognize so clearly how temporary we are and how all of our hope rests in a God who transcends this world, this life, this space, and this time. So our lament reminds us that we are temporary. Fourth, our lament reminds us, this is in verse 11, that God does not overlook the sin of his people and God will not bless the sin of his people. Actually, go back to verse 9. For all of our days pass away under your wrath, We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our lives are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Now, Christians, it's important that we not read in verses nine, ten, and 11 eternal condemnation. He is not saying that God is casting his people into hell. But he is expressing temporary displeasure with the rebellion of his people on this earth. And so we remind ourselves in our hardship that God does not overlook and will not bless the sin of his people, and we remind ourselves that God does not overlook the sins of the whole earth. Now, the way this plays out is if we are in sin, if we are in brokenness because of our rebellion against God, this passage says, stop, repent, and turn because God will not bless you in your sin. But if we are in hardship because of the sins of others, this passage says, remember that God will not turn a blind eye to sin and he will not bless the sin of anyone. Does that make sense? This passage speaks to our lament either way. And if we are in hardship because we live in a fallen world, then this passage reminds us that God will right every wrong. Number five. The fifth truth. God's love and God's blessing are still present in our times of difficulty. We need more of God than we need more temporary happiness. Verse 14. Now remember, this is really the second plea of the psalm. People are in the wilderness. They feel stuck. When is God going to deliver them? And notice what he prays. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad for all of our days. Do you hear that? Israel is in the wilderness because of the sin of Israel. And Moses has the audacity to pray that God would satisfy him in the morning with his unfailing love. And Moses has the audacity to believe that God blesses his children everywhere and always no matter why they are there. And if Moses can pray that, We can pray that. We have warrant to cry out to God, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice. We, we, I want to rejoice in you. God, help me. And be glad in you all of our days. So God's love and God's blessing are still present in our times of difficulty. So God is... Our historical refuge, that's number one. Number two, God is eternal and unchanging. Number three, we are but temporary. Number four, God does not overlook or bless the sin of His people. Number five, God's love and God's blessing are still present in our times of difficulty. Number six, God remembers His covenant. God remembers His covenant. So look at verses 16 and 17 with me. Again, from the wilderness, Moses cries out, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Do you see what Moses is crying from the wilderness? God, would you bless us? God, would you deliver us? God, would you be with us? God, would you cause our lives to be fruitful for your glory? God, would you cause us to bear fruit in keeping with your word? How can Moses pray that from the wilderness? How can Moses pray that for the, during the 40 years? I'll tell you how. Because God's covenantal promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that he would make them a great name and a great people and all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through him. That covenant stands even in the hardship and even in the disobedience and even in the discipline. And Moses is praying through the truth of the covenant. Are you guys with me there? So here, here, here's how this looks for us. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, that if we are in Christ, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nothing above the earth or under the earth or in the earth, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And we can pray with the same covenantal hope that Moses did, God, let your work be shown among us. God, let your glorious power be poured out for your children. God, let your favor be upon us. God, use us to accomplish your work God would you bless us we can pray that with great confidence and great faith because God's covenant always stands and so when we go seeking truth in our lament we are built up with the greatness of who God is the fact that his love is never ending the fact that his love will never leave his people and the fact that he will keep his covenant to his children so here's the, here's the promise. If you are in Christ, Jesus is coming again for you. If you are in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within you right now to give you faith and hope and confidence in God. If you are in Christ, there is not one tear that is shed in this world that he is not aware of, that he does not care deeply about, and that he will not give to you that which is far greater in the life that is to come. These truths are our friends in difficulty. These truths are our friends in difficulty. And so the question is, will our lament go to seek truth from God and his word? And So the final point, and I promise it will be a quick point. Lament looks to God. Lament looks to God. To whom is this psalm written? It's not written to the people of Israel. And it doesn't read like a diary entry. This psalm is written to God. Lord, verse 1, he's addressing God. Let your work, let your favor come out upon us. He's addressing the Lord. Christian lament runs to the God who is able to meet with us and minister to us and deliver us from all things and through all things and in all things. So fatalism is an enemy of faith. Fatalism is the idea that this is just the way things are going to be. It's just the way it is. There's nothing we can do about it. We're stuck where we are. Fatalism is an enemy of faith because faith always says that while I am here, God is with me. While I am here, God is leading me. While I am here, God will keep all of His covenant promises and will lead me through this valley so that I can experience more of Him. So, friends, this is not one of those Sundays where we go running out of here on the cloud of the great emotion of how awesome God is and how he lifted us up in worship. But this is the day that we go out of here with an honest sobriety about the fact that how we felt when we walked in here is common to man. And how we felt when we walked in here is something that the Lord is working for his good, for his glory, and to bless us and how God will be with us. And so take that lament and be honest. Take that lament and seek truth. And then as you receive the truth, take your lament and run to God. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and come up. Here at Redeemer, each week, we take the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a celebration which God has given to us by which we preach to ourselves the truth that Christ's body was broken and Christ's blood was spilt so that we could belong to God and have his blessings upon us forever. This bread and this cup are covenantal reminders of the fact that God is with us and he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. So here at Redeemer, we would invite anyone who has believed in Christ for salvation and has made that faith known, we would invite you to take the bread and the cup with us. So we're going to sing. These men are going to pass out the bread and the cup. And then in a few minutes, I'll come back and we will conclude our service by taking them together.